0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back. CCT, we are live. Another great weekend of college football is upon us again. And appreciate everyone tuning in. Coming back for another helping of college football, the greatest sport on the planet. As always, you know, appreciate everyone tuning in, staying locked in. Uh, got a great week ahead of us, a great weekend prior week one of opening week so I'm very excited and um, we'll jump right in here talk about some of the games from the past weekend and then we'll go into a little bit of college football news and stuff going on around the landscape in the world of college football and then last but not least we'll jump into some games to tune into games of the week this weekend to look forward to so without further ado last weekend I've listed some games of the week and I'm going to go over Majority of them right now, just to put out there, I was 6-for-6 six six with my picks from last week, so I guess I had a four-leaf clover or a good luck charm, but all the teams I pre- predict predicted to win did end up winning, so I'll pat myself on the back, but again, probably won't happen often. Again, college football is very unpredictable. Upsets happen every week. So let's get into some of these games now. So the first game I want to talk about was the UGA game versus Oregon. The dogs handedly whopped the Ducks. Final score was 49-3 Georgia. The new AP poll came out the other day. Georgia moved up to number two. Oregon is now unranked. They were previously number 11. And honestly, I watched the whole game. I turned it off after a while. Because the Ducks didn't even look like they got off the plane. They might as well have stayed in Oregon. They did not look well at all. They, they got Demolished. They got dominated. Georgia literally imposed their will on them the whole game. Going to some stats real quick. Georgia had a total of 571 yards. Oregon only had 313. Georgia had 439 passing yards. Oregon only had 173. Dogs had no turnovers. The Ducks had two turnovers. Stetson Bennett, a.k.a. the mailman, he actually impressed me, and he looked really good. A little dangerous, which is not good, but he looked very well. He was 25-31 passing, 368 yards and two touchdowns. He also had two rushes for eight yards and a touchdown. Again, Bennett played really well. Had some nice, you know, at the beginning of the game, they were warming him up. Had some nice quick passes to get the ball out of his hand. And then he was throwing nice pinpoint accuracy. He passes, more balls down the field. He looked good in the, in the backfield. Milton, the running back. Had eight rushes for 50 yards and a touchdown. One of the running, one of the, one of their other running backs, excuse me, McIntosh. He did a little bit in the rushing game, but he was deadly in the passing game. Nine of nine, nine receptions, nine catches for 117 yards. So again, Georgia's running backs—they reloaded just like last year. They had two dual dual threat, great running backs. This year, the same type of thing. Um, again, McConkey. One of their wide receivers had five five receptions for seventy three yards and a touchdown. Again, the dogs mollywopped the ducks. It wasn't even close. Going into more stats for Oregon here, Bo Nix, who is the former quarterback of Auburn, apparently hasn't learned from his days playing at Auburn. He still likes throwing to the dogs. He was twenty one of thirty seven passing, one hundred seventy three yards and two picks. One of the picks was a great play by the Georgia D-back Again, Bo Nix threw a bomb And um, the D-back just made a nice play and grabbed it And then the second pick was horrible It was Honestly, he didn't look over And the safety was playing zone And jumped in front of the route And just picked the ball off um, Ferguson One of the wide receivers for Oregon Was 4 of 6 And had 37 yards Again, Oregon really did not do much this game Like I said, the dogs dominated. They looked great. Again, they're the defending champs. They played like the defending champs. They handily whooped the tar out of the Ducks. Moving on, we have Arkansas against Cincinnati. Arkansas, the Hogs squeaked out a victory against the Bearcats, 31-24. Arkansas moved up to 16 in the AP poll. Cincinnati is now in ranked. Again, the total yardage is very close here, 447 for Arkansas, 436 for Cincy. The big discrepancy was on either side of the ball. Arkansas, ground-heavy attack with 224 total rushing yards, and Cincinnati was on the opposite side of the specter with 325 passing yards. Arkansas had a turnover, Cincy had two. Again, turnover battle is very key, just like in the Georgia game as well. Turnovers can cost you. K.J. Jefferson, Arkansas's quarterback, was 18 of 26 passing. 223 yards and three touchdowns. He also rushed up 18 times for 62 yards and a touchdown. So total day of four touchdowns for K.J. Jefferson, like I said. He came back this year. He's you know, a great talent, elite SEC quarterback talent. Reminds you of a little Cam Newton, to be honest. So watch out for him throughout the year. Sanders, one of the running backs, had 20 rushes for 117 yards. So between the quarterback and that running back, He had like 170 plus yards there, which is outstanding. Knox, one of their wide receivers, was targeted six times, was targeted seven times, had six receptions for 75 yards and two touchdowns. Now on the Cincy side, Bryant, their quarterback, again, Desmond Ritter was drafted by the Atlanta Falcons. So Bryant, the new quarterback, was 26 of 43 passing, 325 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Kiner, the running back, had 12 rushes for 59 yards and a touchdown. Scott, one of the wide receivers, had five receptions for 77 yards. Again, I tuned into parts of this game. I was tuned into the Georgia game more closely. But this game was back and forth. You know, Cincinnati was playing Arkansas tough. It was in Fayetteville, Woo Pig, and, um, you know, Sam Pittman and the boys, they pulled that dub. Again, hard-fought battle. Again, look out for K.J. Jefferson. Again, he's very, very an elite talent. You know, great SEC quarterback. So keep an eye on, on him throughout the year. Next, we're switching to the battle in the swamp. We have the Gators against Utah. The Gators pulled out a victory on a last play of the game interception in the end zone. The Gators defeated the Utes. 29-26 in Gainesville One of my buddies, Jared, was at the game Told me the place was Ecstatic Deafening Could barely hear It was awesome UF moved up to 12 in the AP poll Utah fell to 13 Going to some stats here The Gators had 440 total yards The Utes had 445 total yards And again Opposite sides of the Spectre here as well. The Gators had 272 rushing yards. The Utes had 220 passing yards. Each team had a turnover. Anthony Richardson, again, many people you know disputed that he should have been the starting quarterback last year over Anthony Richardson. I mean, over Emory Jones. Excuse me. Richardson is an elite talent, has a cannon of an arm and wheels as well. His stats: he was 17 of 24 passing for 168 yards. He also had 11 rushes for 104 yards and 3 touchdowns. So again, he is a stud. Again, another elite, elite SEC quarterback. Has a powerful arm. Again, Can get it done with his legs. One of the highlight plays he had was they were down inside the red zone and they were running a pass play and two Utah's defenders got into his face in the backfield Then he did a jump pump fake, spun around, and then they found the guy the Florida wide receiver in the corner the end zone wide open for a touchdown again watch out for Anthony Richardson as well elite talent very dangerous on you know with the ball in his hands um, Johnson Jr. the running back at 12 rushes for 77 yards and a touchdown again another quarterback running back combo for 170 plus yards which is great Henderson one of the wide receivers had 6 catches for 41 yards now switching over to Utah, Cam Rising, their quarterback, was 23 of 33, 220 yards, threw one touchdown, one interception, again, the costly interception on the goal line, Utah drove all the way down, they were down three. Obviously, a touchdown wins the game, and on a pass play, one of Utah's players fell down, and. F- There was a guy on that guy who fell down, and then another Florida, I believe it was a linebacker, stepped in front of an intercept, or it was another D-back, stepped in front of him and intercepted the ball in the end zone, and obviously Florida won the game after that. But again, great showing by the Utes, hard-fought battle in Gainesville. Again, when you ever have to go into the swamp, the weather, the conditions, you can't even breathe in that place, especially in September. I don't care if it was a night game. It's still hot as heck in there. So, again, great, great showing by the Utes. But, again, the Gators came out on top. So, you got to give credit to them. Not many people expected them to win this game. Shout out to the Gators. Do a little chomp-chomp for all the Gator fans out there. Uh, good win for them. Next, we'll transition to the big game between two top five, at the time, opponents. So we have Ohio State versus Notre Dame. The game was in the shoe in Columbus. The Buckeyes defeated the Irish 21-10. to 10. Ohio State is number three in the AP poll. And Notre Dame fell to eight. Going over total yards, Ohio State had 395 total yards. Notre Dame had 253. Ohio State had 223 passing yards. And Notre Dame only had 76 rushing yards, which is kind of a bad, bad stat there. Each team had zero turnovers. I'll go into it. So pretty much with this game, I watched this game as well. Notre Dame in the first half, they were up at halftime. They looked good. They were taking it to Ohio State. Their defense was, you know, shutting them out, make, forcing the punt. And then the second half, they just got dominated. They just they just took, I don't know if they took the fur off the gas. They just were stifled, but they just couldn't, couldn't cut it. They did not have many yards in the second half, many offensive possessions. It was like a complete opposite of what what happened in the first half. So again, great, great adjustments by Ohio State, and they came out on top. Stroud was 24 of 34 passing, 223 yards and two touchdowns. Henderson, the big running back, he actually, I believe, came out of the game for an injury. He had 15 rushes and 91 yards. Williams, who took his place, had 14 rushes for 84 yards and a touchdown. Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. Again, another Heisman candidate besides Henderson and Stroud. He was injured as well and only had two catches for three yards. But Igbuka, um, he was the other wide receiver. Again, I'm sorry for butchering your name. He had nine catches for 90 yards and a touchdown. He really stepped up and uh, you know Jackson, Smith, and Jigba's place and balled out. He had one heck of a game. Was Stroud's number one target. So again... On the Ohio State side of the ball, it looked very well. Again, their defense just stifled Notre Dame in the second half. If you watched the game, it would look like two different teams. So Notre Dame had the winning formula in the first half, but just could not get it done in the second half. Going over some stats for them, Buckner, their new quarterback, after Jack Cohen, who's in the NFL now. He was 10 of 18 passing for 177 yards. He also had 11 rushes for 18 yards. STME the running back, had nine rushes for 21 yards and a touchdown. Mayer, the big tight end, had five catches for 32 yards. Again, tough loss for the Irish. They played a great game. Ohio State's offense, again, who everyone expected to pop off for 42-plus points, was not exactly on their guns-blazing mentality. Again, the best wide receiver and the running back got hurt. Excuse me, obviously, guys stepped in and played well. And the first half, Stroud looked a little off as well, but again, fine tuned in the second half. So, again, I'm not too worried about this high flying offense. Don't expect them to be down long. They'll definitely find the midseason form very soon. Next, we'll transition to probably the best game in a weekend, or one of the wildest games of the weekend. And again, there were many. The FSU-LSU games Battle of the State Universities The Seminoles defeated the Tigers 24-23 This game was wild FSU had a total of 392 yards LSU had 348 FSU had 260 passing yards LSU had 139 rushing yards FSU had 1 turnover LSU had 2 turnovers Again, this game Was a wild one. FSU played well. Looked good at points. And LSU. This is probably one of the worst LSU teams I've seen in my lifetime. They looked atrocious. They looked really, really bad. And that's saying something. Brian Kelly. I don't know what the heck is going on down there. But you need to figure it out. Um, The summary of the game. You know, FSU played well. Dominated. Um, LSU looks like they're going to lose Keyshawn Booty, their number one wide receiver. Um, he actually, I'll go into some news with him later, but he pretty much just filed, unfiled, you know, stuff on social media, and it, he had a spat with, you know, Brian Kelly. So he might not even be there anymore. But one of their best defensive players got hurt early in the game after he made a tackle. He celebrated by jumping up in the air, and he ended up tearing his ACL from that. So, again, kids, if you're going to jump up and do a celebration, please be careful in any sport because it's just a shame that you have to (laughs) tear your ACL or hurt yourself just to celebrate. Celebrate or do something else. Besides that, neighbors, one of their wide receivers, muffed two punts (laughs) that ended up obviously giving the ball to Florida State and them scoring points off one of them. One of them pretty much going to scenario. FSU was leading, and they could have put the game away. They are up by one score. Towards the end of the game, they punt. Neighbors muffs the punt. FSU gets the ball. It's going into LSU's goal line. They're at the one or two, and they throw a pitch. FSU fumbles it as FSU's done. Again, if anyone is there to blow a game, look out for the Seminoles. They know how to blow a good football game, especially recently. So they fumbled it. LSU gets the ball back with like a minute left. No timeouts. Drive all the way down the field. Daniels, their quarterback. There's a controversial call whether one of their receivers caught the ball and stayed in bounds. They're at the one-yard line. They give them a second to run a play. They score what is the touchdown that puts them down by one point. They go for the game-tying extra point, and it is blocked. And FSU also blocked an LSU field goal during the game. So they had a blocked field goal, a blocked extra point, and two muffs punts. So LSU special teams are also atrocious as well. Again, that's a little summary of that game. Now to go into some stats. Jordan Travis for FSU was 20-33, 260 passing yards and two touchdowns. He also had eight rushes for 31 yards. O. Wilson, again, I'm just saying O because there was another Wilson on their team, but the wide receiver O. Wilson, seven receptions for 102 yards and two touchdowns. Daniels, the quarterback for LSU, was 25-34. 209 yards passing And 2 touchdowns He also had 16 rushes for 114 yards Especially at the end of the game FSU, when LSU drove 99 yards Down the field in like a minute A little over They were running a prevent defense Only rushing 3 guys, dropping 8 And again, I'm not a fan of doing that I know that's prevent defense You don't want to get beat deep But you still need to put pressure on the quarterback D-backs can't cover guys for you 15-20 know, plus seconds it's not sustainable. So I always suggest rushing at least four or five guys, try to put pressure on the quarterback, do something. And that's what LSU, that's what Florida State did, and that's why LSU drove all the way downfield and almost tied and won the game. Let's see. Jenkins, one of their wide receivers for LSU, had five catches for 46 yards and two touchdowns. Again, a wild game. Brian Kelly's first game, <laughs> Down in Louisiana was not a good showing. Afterwards, he showed up to the press conference and made a snarky joke about the reporters showing up late. And said, hey, you know, that's every time they're late, that's $10. At the end of the year, I'll have everyone over for a party. And then one of the reporters said, if you win a game. (laughs) So, Brian Kelly is not getting any, any, um, any buffer here. They're going right for his throat. And again, you come from Notre Dame, a national brand, you're the winningest coach there ever. You come to the SEC, people expect results. And if you lose to a lowly Florida State team who hasn't been relevant within the past five to eight, maybe even ten years, that is embarrassing. So who knows? Brian Kelly hot seat could already be started. I guess time will tell. Last but not least, we have the final game, which is the Monday night game. You had... The Clemson Tigers against the Georgia Tech Hornets. Yellow Jackets, I believe, actually, sorry, yes, Yellow Jackets. Clemson defeated the Yellow Jackets 41-10. to Clemson is now 5 in the AP poll. They fell. Georgia Tech is unranked. And the reason why Clemson fell is because during this game, they were only up at one point 24-17 in the third quarter. They did not look good, Clemson, at points in the game. Yes, they're Clemson You could say it's the first game of the season Doesn't matter, they'll be there But DJ Uy Aguile, the quarterback Did not look good at all Going to some stats for him He had 19 19 of 32 passing Sorry, 209 yards And a touchdown He also had 13 rushes for 28 yards And a touchdown Again, the question with Clemson Last year, this year Is going to come down to the quarterback Come to the man throwing and running the ball We'll be DJ, their backup quarterback. Um, Cade also came in, I believe. I forget his last name at this point. But he came into the game, looked a little better, threw a couple passes, had a couple completions, actually threw a touchdown pass. So look out for that. Some overall stats, real quick, and then I'll jump into more specifics. Clemson had a total of 386 yards, Georgia Tech 237. Clemson had 259 passing yards, and one turnover. Georgia Tech only had 170, only had 73 rushing yards. Again, that's not a, that's a big no-no. You gotta you gotta put up more yards there and one turnover. So each team had one turnover. Clemson, you know, kind of tore up the ball in the passing game, looked better in the second half. Collins, one of the wide receivers for Clemson, had three catches for 54 yards and a touchdown. Switching to the Yellow Jackets here, Sims, their quarterback, was 23 of 36. Had 164 yards passing, one touchdown and interception. He also had 13 rushes for 41 yards. McCollum, their wide receiver, had six catches for 55 yards. Again, what's going to come down to Clemson is their quarterback? Will DJ turn it around? Again, will it be their backup quarterback? Again, time won't tell at this point. But again, he looked good, the backup. And his name is Cade Klubnick. That's his name. I just remembered it. So, again, look out for that as well. Um, Again, Clunson has a cupcake schedule in the ACC. Not really much threats there. So, again, theoretically, they should be there at the end of the year. But, again, only time will tell. We'll see what they do with their quarterback. We'll see how the rest of the team shapes up and see what Dabble Sweeney can do there. Now, switch over to some college football news here. Speaking of Dabo Sweeney, he just got the bag today. It's big payday. He's got a new 10 year, 115 million extension. This deal will pay him 10.5 million in 2022 and will incrementally work up will incrementally work up to 12.5 million a year. He has now joined the 10 million club. Coaches such as Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Ohio State's Ryan Day, LSU, Brian Kelly, and Michigan State's Mel Tucker. Again, he is the second highest paid coach in college football right now. Saban is still the highest, again, with his new deal, but now he is second. So again, Dabble just got the bag. That'll put him there for another 10 years. Again, obviously you saw Kirby Smart get his big contract extension. Saban just got his, and now Dabble Sweeney just got his. Again, Smart if teams to lock up these great coaches. Again, keep the program everything running smoothly over the next couple of years. Again, lots and lots of incentives. Again, that's why the deals are worth so much and we'll gradually work up. You know, if you win your conference, if you win the championship, if you make the playoffs, all these extra incentives and extra opportunities for them to earn money. Next, we'll switch over to documentaries. And again, if you don't know. Netflix, the streaming service, actually came out with a documentary recently for Manti Teo. For those who don't know who Manti Teo is, he's a linebacker that plays at the University of Notre Dame in the early 2010s, 11 and 12, right around that, that edge. In the 2013 National Championship, Notre Dame faced off against the University of Alabama. And even before that, Manti Teo you know, was one of the leading players in the country was up for the Heisman, he was a linebacker, you know, was fierce, made some great plays, and then he got caught up in a scandal, not a scandal, he was part of a catfish, pretty much situation, where this, you know, imaginary girl pretty much kind of catfished him, and then this whole, you know, fake girlfriend, snafu, kind of really psyched him out, you know, ruined his playing game, his career, and everything like that. I heard it was excellent. I have not watched it yet. I'm definitely going to tune into it. And um, something else that's kind of a spinoff of that is that in that documentary, you see that year that Johnny Manziel, Money Manziel from Texas A&M, won the Heisman that year. And I saw something on Twitter that said, wow, seeing Johnny Manziel at the Heisman in this documentary really makes me think they should create a Johnny Manziel documentary. And then Netflix dropped another tweet with the little... uh, tape in action and Manziel was in it and they said coming soon so look out for that Money Manziel documentary as well on Netflix if if you know if it's Money Manziel excuse me it doesn't sound enough I don't know what will that documentary is gonna be something wild so I definitely recommend tuning in for that and seeing what that's all about probably the biggest news we have in a while is the college football playoff will be expanding 12 team playoff is set in stone. Now, will it happen in 2024, 2025, and 2026? Time will tell. But it will happen in 2026, definitely. Early, we shall see. But again, that meeting that happened last Friday between all the presidents and chancellors, they unanimously voted to expand the playoff to 12 teams. So again, the format will be one through four get a bye, and then five will play 12. 6 will play 11, 7 will play 10, and 8 will play 9. And the 5, 6, and 7 and 8 seeds, they will be the home teams that will be hosting their opposing teams at their college campuses, which is something I really wanted and really was hoping that they did if they expanded the playoffs and they did that. So I'm very happy as a college football fan and you know, as a former student as well I that, you know, imagine a playoff game to compete you know, and go further on to compete for national championship at your college campus. It's all if any other, you know, regular season game doesn't get you amped up, that is gonna go through the roof crazy even more if you're a college town or city. So I'm very happy about that. Another thing, again, these are all just potential statistics statistics because again it's not set in stone yet. But the new playoff format for twelve teams could potentially bring in 2.2 billion dollars annually in media rights. In comparison to March Madness, that's more than double what March Madness is presently. So again, this this 12 team playoff could be out of this world. Again, we shall see. Again, I'm still worried about the competition if you know, a good 5 seed plays a 12 seed and it's a blowout, you know, how that affect media rights and who's going to watch the game and viewership and stuff like that but again 2.2 billion dollars is 2.2 billion dollars so you can't really deny that again i'm on and i'm you know a very big supporter of the college teams hosting you know the higher seeds hosting at their college campus so i think that's a great plus as well so i'm excited to see it i'm excited to see what happens you know, if they iron it out, will it be in 2024, will it be 2025, or will be the end of the contract in 2026? So I will keep, you know, updating and keep, you know, in the loop as much as possible as the news comes. But again, that was outstanding breaking news we just had recently last Friday. So finally, after all the rumors of changing the playoff, long ago last year, they finally did it. So that will definitely be happening. Um, on the lighter side here, the song Narco by Timmy Trumpet. If many of you don't know what that is, an artist, Timmy Trumpet, dropped a song called Narco. And originally, you know, it's an EDM type song or a song that he plays on the trumpet. And, you know, there's different remixes of it. And actually, he came to Citi Field the other day to play it for the Mets Live because that song, Edwin Diaz, who's the Mets closer, closing pitcher, Every time he comes in the game, they play that, and it's become a staple for the Mets this year. Everyone gets hyped. You know, it's all over social media and Instagram and stuff like that and ESPN, so he actually performed it live at the stadium with his trumpet, and everyone everyone went nuts. It was electric. So Ohio State over the weekend had someone from their band perform it live at the game against Notre Dame. Everyone went nuts. Alabama also had one of the EDM remixes, and they played it at their stadium. This past weekend with the light show, so it's awesome to see Timmy trumpet again with "Narco." Again, if you guys haven't seen that song, definitely look into it. It's an electric song, you know. Let's go Mets with Edwin Diaz this year, and you know, hopefully that revolution starts sweeping the country. It's a great song. And last but not least, here we have actually before not last, well, we have two more things to talk about. First, we'll talk about the uh, the Keyshawn Booty thing again. Again, he is LSU's probably number one wide receiver, one of their best players, and like I was saying before, he unfollowed LSU on all social media today, deleted everything with LSU in his bio, deleted all LSU-related stuff. Again, a rift has been potentially sought. Who knows if he'll transfer, where he'll go, but apparently he also got into an altercation with Brian Kelly, and again... Who knows? Maybe he doesn't respect them. I don't know. Really, don't know what the altercation was about. But it seems like Brian Kelly again is not off to a good start in LSU, losing your number one player, and especially a wide receiver of Booty's cal- caliber. So again, I'll keep an eye out for that. See where he potentially might go. But again, Brian Kelly is off to another another really really bad bad L. If if he transfers out, besides the FSU, this would be a bad L as well. And last but not least now, Miles Brennan, the former LSU quarterback, has abruptly quit the team. He has not played a snap this year. He's not played a game. But he has had a massive NIL payday. He signed NIL deals with Raisin Canes, Smoothie King, GameCoin, Small Sliders, and Ford. And he has decided to step away from football again for who knows what reason. I believe he wasn't named the starter, so he decided... You know, I'm just going to quit. I don't know why he didn't transfer. But again, it could be other reasons unknown. But NIL deals cannot be broken, and they're not based on performance. So he's still getting those paychecks, which is something I found very interesting. Again, I don't know if any every NIL deal is like that, but his is. So again, he just made away with a bag, and he hasn't even played a snap of football and probably won't play a snap of football this year. So, again, that is something I saw that definitely perked my interest and was like, wow, okay. That's something to keep a note of as well. We'll see what happens with you know other potential NIL stuff and news that we hear throughout the year. Now, last but not least, we have the games of the week. Again, lots of ga- you know crazy games this weekend. Lots of stuff going down. Let's start it off with this Saturday. We have number one Bama going on the road to Austin, Texas. Excuse me, big horns down. Everyone can't see me right now, but I'm doing a big horns down this weekend. Roll Tide. The Tide coming to Austin. Game day will be there. Pat McAfee is now part of game day. He will be there. It's a 12 noon kick on Fox. So, of course, you know, big noon game day is going to be there as well. Big noon kickoff. That means the legend Gus Johnson and his quarterback Joel Klatt will be announcing the game. Going to be a wild one. I am rolling with the tide in Austin I think Bryce Young Will Anderson and the boys Are going to be too much For Quint Ears and Sarkeesian To handle Next we'll transition Number 24 Tennessee Is on the road against Pitt Who's 17th in the country That game is 3.30pm on ABC Pitt off a fresh victory Off you know against West Virginia They're home again I'm going to take the Pitt Panthers here. And uh, you know, I think they'll beat Tennessee this week. Again, Tennessee has looked better in recent years. You know, Hendon Hooker quarterback. They're getting some good recruiting. Again, I think it'll be a good game, but I still think Pitt takes it at home. Next, more, and that's another SEC matchup we have here. We have number 20 Kentucky against number 12. Gators of Florida the Gators will be home It will be in the Swamp in Gainesville That game is 7pm On ESPN or TV 206 Again I gotta roll with the Gators again It's in their home place The Swamp I know Kentucky has beat them the past couple years You know they came into the Swamp A couple years ago and stunned the Gators But I'm gonna roll with the Gators again You know I'm rolling with Anthony Richardson Billy Napier and the boys I think they'll pull out a victory. They've looked better. So I think I think they'll come out on top. Kentucky's gonna play them tough though. I will tell you that much. I will tell you that much. Next we have a big pack-12 matchup, number 10, Southern Cal on the road against Stanford. Stanford will be home. That game is on ABC at 7 30 p.m. I'm going with Southern Cal here. Again, Lincoln Riley. Caleb Williams. They looked hot in their first game. Again, they were going to have a tough opponent. This will be a you know, first real test for them on the road in Stanford at night. But again, I'm going to take the Trojans here. Next, we have the state the battle for the state of Iowa. We have Iowa State, the Cyclones, going on the road to Iowa Kinnick Stadium with the great Kinnick Wave to the Children's Hospital. Looking over that game is 4 p.m. on Big Ten Big Ten Network or DirecTV 610. Again. This game in the past, I've always picked Iowa State. They had Brock Purdy, Brees Hall last year. In all the years they've had those guys, I've always picked Iowa State, and they never got it done. It is in Iowa. I'm going to go the Hawkeyes here. I think Iowa will take this one. Again, I've always picked Iowa State usually, but they've let me down too many times. They don't have those boys there anymore. I'm going with the Hawkeyes. Last but not least, the late, late game, we have number nine, Baylor. On the road against number 21 BYU This game will be on ESPN Or DirecTV 206 At 10.15pm I'm going to go with the, ba- the Baylor Bears Again Rolling into Utah Going to be a late night game Out west But again Baylor coming off a Big 12 Championship last year Hopefully you know can ride that momentum in this year Oranda has got him Looking good So again, I'm going to take the Baylor Bears here. So I got Bama against Texas. I have Pitt against Tennessee. I have the Gators against Kentucky. I have Southern Cal against Stanford. I have Iowa against Iowa State for the Battle of Iowa. And I have the Baylor Bears defeating BYU. Those are my picks this week. Again, we'll see next week how we do with them and how I did. I'm again looking forward to further episodes. I'm definitely going to start talking to some of my friends and potentially could have one of them on for a little college and you know, college football next time. Again, no guarantees. But now, you know, with the season starting up again, I definitely want to have more people on, have different experiences, different viewpoints from people who went to different colleges and universities so we can just, you know, get their insight and see what it is to be, you know, a student, different, you know, different different viewpoint from a different college campus that's a good way to phrase it so i'm excited for that i also got my buddy snakus me and him are going to put our heads together and potentially i'm looking into you know change up my the logo or the little picture that comes up my podcast so stay tuned for that as well that'll be coming soon you know be some designs in the work for that as we speak so again as always thank you for everyone tuning in you know i appreciate the support You know, I really think of this as my family. You know, great outreach, great community for people who, you know, are college football fanatics or someone who just, you know, dipped their foot in the water and wanted to see what college football is all about. So I appreciate everyone. As always, stay safe, be well, and, uh, you know, appreciate everyone staying locked in with CCT. Thank you, everybody. Peace.